listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. You know, tonight we have come to reflect upon those last moments of Jesus's life on earth. Jesus reclining with his closest friends in that room to observe the Passover meal. The disciples, they're looking at this as just another opportunity to spend time with their beloved Jesus, a man that they've grown to love and respect. Although tonight seems very ordinary to those men, Jesus knows it is anything Anything but ordinary. Around this table is Matthew and James and John and Peter. And there's Jude and Thaddeus and Thomas and Simon and Philip. All hanging on every word that Jesus would speak. But there's also that one that's remembered by the name of Judas. And Judas knows exactly what he is about to do. And Jesus knows what is in his heart and the plan that Judas has already put into motion. Jesus knows that the most difficult moment in his life and the darkest moment in human history is just on the other side of the sunrise. So Jesus, you know what he does? He does the most important thing he knows to do to prepare himself. He goes to the quiet garden of Gethsemane to spend time in prayer. It is in this garden that Jesus, he, he begins to feel the early tremors of the horror and the pain that lies ahead of him. It is in that quietness of the garden that Jesus prays the greatest prayer in the world. What was hanging in the balance was the beauty of God's grace and the salvation of the world. The success of Jesus' mission on earth depends on Jesus' prayer and the answer that would be given. So please listen to the words that are recorded for us in Matthew 26. It says, Then Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, my father, If it is be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, so could you not watch with me for an hour? Watch and pray that you may enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed was willing, but the flesh was weak. Again, a second time. He went away and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. 
So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Sleep and, and take your rest later on. You see, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayer. He's at hand. And Jesus, he prayed with honesty, but he also prayed with trust. Listen to the words of Jonathan Edwards as he reflected upon this prayer. He said, this was the greatest act of obedience that Christ was to perform. He prays for strength and help that his poor, feeble human nature would be supported, that he might not fail in this great trial. That he might not sink and be swallowed up, but finish the appointed obedience. That the death he was to suffer might not overcome his love and obedience, but that he might overcome death and so be saved from it. No, Jesus, he did not go on praying that the cup would pass. He went on praying for success in actually drinking it. Jesus, he was under, under so much stress that it says that he began to sweat blood. But this is nothing compared for what was about to take place. It's now Friday. It's the darkest moment in human history. Though most people have no clue about what's going on. That is, he's attending to the business of the empire. Throughout the world, babies are born. People eat and they drink and they marry and they're, they're bartering in the streets. Merchant ships sail and fights are won and lost. Children play and adults work and people are dying. But this day, one death, one brutal and gruesome death, the worst and the best of human deaths will leave its lasting mark. On human history. Because today in Jerusalem. God the son. The creator of all that is. He will be executed. So through the darkness. Jesus he, he begins to see. The lights of torches. And the clanging of armor. There leading the armored guards. Is Judas. Jesus allows Judas to move close enough to him. To kiss his cheek. In fact, Jesus allowed Judas to get close enough, just close enough to betray him. Jesus isn't carried away, and he's led through really a mockery of a trial. Jesus taken to the house of Ananias, the former high priest, who questions him about these things he's been saying. Jesus knows this is no informal interrogation, but is meant to catch him disoriented and, and even off guard. But he's neither. And he gives this manipulative leader absolutely nothing. Frustrated and nice, he sends Jesus to his son-in-law, Caiaphas, the, the current high priest. 
in Caiaphas' house. The trial gets underway quickly, but morning, morning is quickly approaching. So the council they needs to get their damning verdict by daybreak. The Sanhedrin members, they file in, and the hasty trial is underway. But Jesus, he never utters a word. He's as quiet as a lamb. Because his eyes, they are set on one thing. He's about to become cursed. The council, they, they bring in these witnesses trying to tell lies. However, there's a, a mistake that they didn't account for. The, the testimonies of these false witnesses, they don't agree. So they're frustrated, they're irritated, and they are impatient. And Caiaphas shouts in Matthew 26, Adhor you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. This is the moment. This is the moment right here, charged in the name of his Father to answer. And Jesus speaks the words that will seal the doom for whom he's about to endure. It's for you, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the religious leaders, they finally, they finally have the evidence that they believe they need. But there's still one more final step in this. Their greatest desire is to finally to rid themselves of this one named Jesus. But only Rome, only Rome could make this happen for them. So as the sun begins to break over beautiful Jerusalem, Judas, he's swinging by his own belt. Peter, he's withering in grief at his failure and Jesus' face, it is streaked by dried blood from the pre-dawn beating from the temple police. But the verdict is guilty of blasphemy. The sentence, it's death. But only Rome can make that final step possible. So Jesus, he's ushered before the Roman governor, Pilate, there's now a chess match between Pilate and the Sanhedrin. Pilate thinks that he's outfoxing by offering up what no one would refuse to set a man named Barabbas free. But the people, they surprise him by calling for his release. So Pilate, he, he's going to try something else. He has Jesus tied to a wooden post and severely flogged and beaten, hoping to just curb the council's thirst for blood. For the council, they will rest at nothing but the crucified Jesus. So Pilate, he's running out of options. And so what he does, he tries one final plea. He persuades the council to release Jesus. To the council, they fire an arrow that causes Pilate to quake with fear. He says, if you release this man, Pilate, you are not a friend of Caesar. And anyone who makes himself a king, they oppose Caesar. Checkmate. The council has Pilate right 
where they want him. So morning breaks. Jesus, he stumbles out into the street, horribly beaten and bleeding profusely. The Roman soldiers have been ruthless in their cruelty. The crown of thorns has ripped Jesus' scalp, and his back is just one gruesome wound. Golgotha is just a short distance from the garden gate, but Jesus has no strength to carry his own cross. So Simon of Cyrene, they grab him out of the crowd to carry this cross up to the hill. And at the top of the hill, all that they tell us in Scripture, they're so detailed before and after, but all that they say is they crucified him. So Jesus, he is nailed to one of the most cruelest instruments of torture that's ever been devised. Nails have been driven through his wrist and his feet. And a sign hangs above him that says, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And as Jesus is hanging on that cross, some people walk by, they're shaking their heads in disgust. Many, they're standing around watching just to see what will happen. All morning long, there have been shouts of hate from spectators and even shouts of mockery from the soldiers and even shouts of shame from a prisoner hanging right next to him. But then I believe there, the shouts stop. I believe there is this long moment of silence. And all of a sudden, someone notices that, that Jesus' lips, they start moving. He's struggling to even form the words. And finally, with just enough energy, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there, there's never been a moment of greater love than this moment. This was the moment that Jesus experienced the greatest of all curses. But what was really happening when Jesus uttered those words? See, long before, God gave the children certain responsibilities. The children of Israel, He, he gave them actually a way to live. Children were to respect their parents. Men, you were to love your wives you were to respect each other's possessions and to have this high value for the life of your fellow man. And God, He also gave them consequences for breaking these laws. And the most they avoided these consequences when they see them. The, the, most, the one that they wanted to stay away from the most is seen in Deuteronomy 21. It says, His body... It shall not remain all night on a tree, but you shall bury him on that same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for inheritance. And it was a terrible thing to die as a criminal. But it was a horrendous thing, an unthinkable thing to die a cursed man. What did it mean to die a cursed man? Why in the world would that be so bad? We've seen the Bible, the, the, highest, the, the highest form of blessing. It wasn't land. 
It wasn't herds of animals. It wasn't even the respect of your friends or a big home. The highest blessing is actually in a Hebrew benediction. It says in number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So according to this, to be supremely blessed by God was to be able to look, to look him in the face. The highest blessing was God looking at you. If seeing God and having God look upon you is the highest of blessings, then the worst curse anyone could fathom would be God removing His face from you. The highest blessing was coming closer and closer to the presence of Almighty God to see His face. And so to be cursed is the complete opposite. The curse is not just having God develop His face where it is hidden. To be cursed is to have God to turn His back so that you can no longer see His face. In fact, I, th- I think that's what the Bible refers to when it uses the word hell. When Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was God turning His face from His beloved Son. And I think we don't even have words to describe what that moment was like. I mean, we we really have nothing to absolutely even come close to compare it to. Because there is no doubt unspeakable misery in this world. We see it every day. There's pain, there's sorrow, there's grief at times that seems to be beyond what we could even comprehend. But there is not a corner of this earth today where you will find the total absence of God's presence. There's no experience so miserable or painful in this world as the absence would be. We have nothing to compare it to. What it would be compared to complete separation from God. What it would be like in this life. There's no horror in this world that compares to the horror of hell. Where there's absolutely no blessing of God. In fact, there are thousands of people. Thousands of people who have died being nailed to a tree. The Romans were masters of this. Many men and women, they've gone through excruciating pain like Jesus did. But only Jesus, in the midst of his death, suffered the fullness of an unspeakable horror of the curse of God in his death. So horrible was this aspect of his death that I doubt Jesus was even aware of the nails in his hands and feet. As Jesus, as he's hung on that cross, we read that darkness, it covered the earth. The light of the face of God had been removed from Jesus, and the world was filled with darkness, even though it was in the middle of the day. That was God the Father turning his back on his only and beloved Son. And it was not 
from the false witness of testimonies that brought him the greatest pain. It wasn't even the beatings. It wasn't even the denial of his closest followers. It's not even the nails that caused Jesus to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was his own father turning his back on. It was God delivering the curse for our sins upon His Son. Jesus became cursed for us. We see this all throughout His life on the earth. Think of Adam and Eve, their rebellion in the garden. It tells us the ground was cursed and thorns sprang up from it. But Jesus who deserves only to wear a crown of gold, of of purest gold, was cursed by wearing a crown of thorns. Because of Adam and Eve's sinfulness, they recognized their nakedness and they were ashamed. But Jesus, who is clothed in perfect righteousness, He was stripped naked and exposed as He hung on a cross. Because of our rebellion, sinfulness and disobedience, We deserve God to turn His back on us and to remove His face so that we could no longer see it. So Jesus, you know what He does? He cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me in our place so that we would never have to experience that? Jesus became our curse. He endured being cursed on our behalf. He bore our full curse. There was actually no debt that he left unpaid. But don't lose sight of this. Jesus does this. and He doesn't do this out of hate or even anger in his heart towards you. He did not do this out of disgust. In his mind towards you. He did not do this begrudgingly. Hebrews tells us. For the joy. Set before him. He endured the cross. Scorning. It's shame. So Jesus he takes the curse. Of being hung on a tree. And he makes it. The most glorious thing. In the world to us. Jesus is the great curse reversal. So tonight we do. We want to reflect upon Jesus being cursed so that we wouldn't have to be. We want to reflect upon Him enduring what it was like, what it was to have the Father to turn His back on Him so that we wouldn't have to. And so tonight we will do this Through communion. I want to ask two of our elders. Paul and Kent. If they will make their way to the front. We want you to know tonight. We're going to take communion a little bit differently. This communion is open to anyone. That truly knows Christ. As their personal savior. We invite you to eat. And to drink with us. Our two elders tonight are going to each take a tray and they will stand up here at the front. In just a moment, the band will play and we're going to ask you to make your way to the center aisle and and walk down and to take the elements but to hold them.
then you'll then make your way to the outside, back to your seats. But if that is too much, we want you to know our men, they will make their way through the aisle when they're finished. And you can simply let them know and they will bring the elements to you. So I want to invite the band members and their families to come up and to take communion together. And as they're doing that, I want to remind us of a couple of things. This table, once again, these elements are open to anyone that has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation. In fact, the only restriction that we see is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, that we are to first examine ourselves for the purpose of confessing any area of known sin that each of us, that we might confess that. And so this evening, in this moment, when once the band starts playing, we would ask you to make your way to the center aisle and take the elements, but to hold them. And then at the end, we will all take them as a sign of unity. So I want to pray for us, and then the band will get in place, and as they play songs, if you would simply make your way to the center aisles. Our lovingly Heavenly Father, it is in tonight that we hope that the moments of that Good Friday set heavy on us. Those moments that your son endured horrible rejection, unthinkable beatings, and horrible humiliation. The pain of having himself nailed to a wooden cross and hanging in the mid of day in the beating sun. But the most excruciating thing of it all was him enduring the curse, becoming cursed for us. Lord, as believers, we admit that He lived the life that we could never live, and He died the death that we deserved. And so, Lord, it is in His name that we do this in remembrance of. But only through the power of Your Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.